I would love to have you take your, your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Find the sermon notes in your bulletin, if you would. Now, as you do those things, all right, I want to add to the announcements in just a couple of areas, okay? Then you'll be all ready when we step to our time in God's Word. But just a couple of things here. Uh, first, you heard the, uh, been hearing the announcement about our day camp coming up. Uh, currently, of course, over 350 children are registered for our day camp. So we are, and we have a little bit of time yet to go. So we do anticipate a full house. And of course, a day camp or a VBS more formally up at Central Bible. And probably, we're struggling a bit with some things with school, probably a soccer camp down at Grace Community Church. But uh, those things uh, are, are on the way as well. For day camp, we do field trips with these 350 children, and that involves buses. This year, currently, I have three bus drivers. I need at least a fourth and maybe a fifth. If I have a fifth, then I don't have to drive all the time, which is okay, too. I don't mind, but I will. If, you, if, if a number of you are newer, if you know anybody in your circle of influence with a all the proper documentation, CDL, it doesn't matter if you can just get it down the road, you got to have the right stuff. Uh, CDL, paperwork, you got your physical, all the stuff that's required, you'd know if that's you. Uh, if you know anybody in that category, I added another one last night, uh, so fantastic, we could use another one or two if you know anybody. So let me know as soon as possible before we panic, and, uh, and I don't know what, but God always provides that that's a need. And then I also just wanted to let you know that next Sunday, Kathy and I will be gone. We will be attending the IFCA convention. Uh, Sunset Bible Church is part of IFCA International, kind of the umbrella organization we're part of. And every year there's kind of a convention mid-year, and it's, it's always uh, in the Midwest. So we'll be leaving later this week to go to Covington, Kentucky, and be a part of a whole number of uh, meetings and so on that are uh, part of where this movement is, is going. So... I like to be involved, like to be in the room when things are talked about. So I want you to know that those things take place. Well, my goodness, today, Father's Day, we get to think about some things in the Bible once again. As you know, our bread and butter at Sunset Bible Church is to open the Word of God and to, to routinely, we work our way through sections of the Bible and talk about it. Today, we're, we, as you can tell... If you have a Bible open to 2 Corinthians 13, you can see we're nearing the end of this. Pastor Ben will be preaching next week and we'll finish, we'll land it. Uh, the end of this study that we began last September, uh, July 2nd, uh, we will begin a 10-week theologically driven study. I'm saying theologically driven, pastorally preached, based on 10 issues called We Believe from the Apostles' Creed, the historic Apostles' Creed. We believe, looking at 10 very important issues of biblical truth that are defining of historic Christianity and rooted in Scripture. Okay? So that will happen uh, July 2nd through Labor Day. There are 10 Sundays, I promise. And so that's what those 10 will be. Then we'll do a couple of things as September begins, uh, talking about the church and the purpose for the church, as I always do to begin the fall and then the last Sunday of September, we will begin a, a lengthy study uh, for that school year, ministry year, through the Gospel of Mark. And of course, that will be the case at all of our preaching locations. This morning, Pastor Stephen up at Central Bible, Pastor Matt down at Grace Community Church. Okay? There. Whole bunch of information coming your way. Well, <clears throat> this morning then, in, in today's text, just a word about what's going on here, and then we will pray together 
and get into things here. Uh, we are going to step into a text that, that where the Apostle Paul is building on the, some comments last week at the end of chapter 12, where he is, he's preparing for a visit to this, to this local church. There's a church at Corinth. It's a city, of course, in the, in the Middle East and uh, Asia Minor. And he's getting ready to go there again. And he mentions at the end of chapter 12 some things he's afraid of. Fear. He uses the term phobia. Fear. I fear some things. Uh, you, you understand some of that, uh, what it's like when you have a visit coming up. And it, it may not be all cherries and roses. And he's getting ready for that. And so today's text, he's going to talk more about that very vulnerably, but both vulnerable and, well, let's just say ready to discuss gospel truth because it matters. It really matters a lot. Uh, the We Believe study that we're going to be doing, every one of those topics matters a lot or else we wouldn't talk about it. So Paul is suggesting here very clearly what we're preaching about Jesus and what we say from the Bible, it matters a lot. Or else we would just talk about something else like the weather or the mariners. No, these things matter a lot for your eternal soul and for how you live in this world. So Paul's getting ready to talk about some things. And he, man, uh, he, there's, a, there's, there's a, a, a soberness to today's text. Well, I want to talk about that. Things that I think matter. We'll land all of that with some comments on Father's Day, I promise. I do know what day it is. But the text intersects with, the, with these things. Okay? So let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll get after it. Our Father, how good it is to come to this moment where we open the Word of God as a church family. And in this, in this uh, moment that is so anchoring to us in a world adrift that we open the word of God and meet with you and turn our thoughts and hearts to things eternal and think together about what it means to know you, the living God, our creator, our savior, redeemer, and friend. And how important that we do this. So I pray that you would help us as we look to the scriptures, that you would guide us, that the spirit of God would have free reign in our hearts, that wherever each of us in the room or online, wherever we are with you, that we would be drawn closer to you and consider maybe again, maybe for the first time, the claims of Jesus Christ. So would you help us during this time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at your sermon notes, I want to re- just kind of remind you under that section called review, the first bullet point, okay? I dare to beat the same drum again. And every now and then, parents and others remind students or young ones, they remind, so I am reminding us too. You have heard us say many times in our study of 2 Corinthians, uh, the whole book, the whole letter, that grace and truth must be wed. That for for our health as a church, and for your health, if you're a follower of Jesus, both ample grace and ample doses of truth must be put together for, uh, otherwise the wheels come off, I promise you. A church or a person that's, that's on the gray side and ignores truth gets unhinged from things that are right and wrong. You love everybody, you hug everybody, but completely unhinged from truth. It's a dangerous place to be. It's like a car going 100 and you know, whatever miles an hour with no brakes. Slight problem here. On the other side, truth, truth, apart from grace, can be a weapon. You can smack people with truth. 100% correct but very unkind. And I'm saying to us now, as I have throughout this this study, grace and truth must be wed. 
This, of course, follows the pattern of Jesus, Gospel of John, right at the beginning, twice. The Apostle John, in telling the story of Jesus, speaks of him as full of grace, full of truth. And then the the whole Gospel of John tells the story of what that looks like. And so here, I'm reminding us, in this text in particular, you'll hear grace, but you're going to get an ample dose of truth that is anchoring, sobering, okay? I think we need both of those our world today. Yes, ample, ample love, ample grace, lots of hugs, anchored in truth, anchored in truth. Otherwise, there's never a time when you say, time out, that's wrong, and say it kindly, okay? So you can lose on either side of these. Okay, I want to go down to the part called today's text. You can kind of see a little paragraph what's going on here. Uh, As we'll see in a moment, Paul's laying the groundwork for another visit to Corinth. He's been there three times. Well, twice, and a third is coming up. He has just shared his fears. You remember in chapter 12, verse 20, and verse 21, as I've referred to, he says, I fear that when I come, I may not find you as I wish. And I fear that I may have to mourn over some who have sinned earlier and have not repented. I fear that I'm going to walk into a mess. And as I mentioned, he uses the word for fear, phobia. I'm afraid of this. He's not just messing around. When I'm afraid that when I come, I'm afraid of what I'm going to find when I walk through the door. Well, I want to read the text then, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4. And then I have comments under two headings for the morning. Okay? Uh, I think easy for us to to see. But let's, let's hear God's word then, this small section, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4. Paul says this, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Okay, there, four verses. Jay, what are you going to do with those? Well, I've given you two headings, uh, I think, for us to think about. So this, both of these deal with themes that have been th- running right through 2 Corinthians throughout, from beginning to end, and I think are, are highlighted right here in these four verses. My first heading then, gospel work is both glorious and it is serious business. Gospel work is both glorious and serious business. So I want to I pull your mind back for a moment to the beginning part of this book, this letter, okay? Early on and throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul has been lifting up the glory of the gospel. We spoke of this in chapter 3, spoke of this in chapter 4 in particular. The glory of the gospel is Paul contrasts in chapter 3 the Old Covenant, Old Testament, with the new, the ministry of, of death, as he would call the Ten Commandments, and the law that points out our sinfulness, our need for a Savior. And he said, man, that was important but he, he, he contrasts it with the ministry of reconciliation, the new covenant, 
that which was brought to fruition through Jesus Christ. But there's glory. He talks about the fading glory in the Old Testament and the, and the surpassing glory of the gospel. Forgiveness through a living, risen Savior. So he's, he's building on that again here, I believe. God's work is, our gospel work is both, both glorious, serious business. And I have to just tell you, these things that bring well, color in my mind that helped me think through the text as I was mulling over the, those two elements in this text this week, I found myself thinking of a movie that I actually kind of enjoy, uh, kind of one of those ones every now and then you can watch again just because. Uh, it's called National Treasure. See, I know, some of you have watched the same thing. If you haven't, it's okay. Uh, you're not on the outside, but it's, you know, it's the idea that there's this, tre- it's a treasure hunt. And in, in the first one, you may recall there's, that there's this treasure map or some clue on the back of the Declaration of Independence, and they have to steal, no, really, steal the Declaration of Independence. It's kind of cool, Bull, you know, guns and, and bad guys and all kinds of stuff and a big car chase. If you, I know, some of you hate that stuff. But if you did watch National Treasure, you'd see this, this dealing with an ancient document, and this is my point, it's a, it's a tremendous rush Stealing the Declaration of Independence. But, but let's be careful with that document. Just maybe. Because it might be a priceless piece of American history that you don't want to just drop underneath your car tires. So get it. Be careful. And I'm, I'm just thinking of glory. Treasure hunt. That's fun. But could we be careful here? We're dealing with something important. I think that's kind of what I see in this text about the gospel. Paul's, Paul has been looking at the glory of the gospel, the work of Jesus. But, but here he's saying, there's some serious business to attend to here. So I look with you then at verse 1. He says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. He's come twice. There was the beginning when they came to Christ. He was there for 18 months, helped the church get founded. A whole bunch of people came to Christ through his ministry. He came another time, as referenced earlier in this letter. He calls it the painful visit because they, they had some stuff to talk about. He calls it the painful visit. And now he says, I'm coming again. And you guys know about this. I know you do. This is not unique to Paul. There are times when you can hardly wait to see somebody or a family group or whatever. And at the same moment, there's some awkwardnesses. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody that maybe you haven't seen since the last time you said, I would never vote for him. And they said, oh yeah, well, there's an issue of righteousness. And, and then you said, Merry Christmas, and off you went. And you haven't seen him since, or whatever the debate was. Probably not that, because you're smarter than to do that at a family event. Right. So, I can hardly wait to see you. But there's this sense of heaviness. I think that's this. This is the third time I'm coming. And I mentioned here in your sermon notes, he, he, he mentions it more than once. Uh, he says it in verse 14 of chapter 12. He talks about this next visit. When I come, when I come, verse 20, verse 21. When I come, when I come. And then he starts this. This is the third time I'm coming to you. And then he has this odd quote. Um, the, the second half of verse 1 is a quotation from the Old Testament law. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Old Testament text, he quotes part of, the, part of it from that, from that setting. But I, I, I just want to press onto a couple of things here. First of all, this is noteworthy. This is bullet point number two on your sermon notes. The Apostle Paul quotes the Old Testament, and he doesn't say, of course, that's just the Old Testament. He uses it to support an argument. And I just 
grab the big picture there to point out to all of us as New Testament age followers of Jesus, Paul doesn't get rid of the Old Testament. Nor should we. I realize that here and there you have different preachers or authors or so on who I think downplay the Old Testament, maybe emphasizing as I did here with my italics in bold, to say it's like, you know, the Old Testament. And I realize, because we preach from the Old Testament here, and every time we do, I hope you're around enough for this, we try to give you a sense of context, progress of revelation, how to read Old Testament in its different parts, Proverbs, Psalms, wisdom literature, and so on, history, the parts that relate to God's law for Israel as a nation, God's moral law that never grows old because it tells you what God is like. These are all in the Old Testament. There are parts that sometimes people get all antsy about because they read something that was specific to the nation of Israel and their, their rule as an ancient nation. And they say, well, boy, we just pitched those parts of the Bible. And you go, no, did you read the whole story? Because if you read the whole story, you'd see it fits in a certain point. And you wouldn't run around in the newspaper or with a meme and point out your, um, your lack of understanding. <clears throat> Sorry. You don't get the big picture of the Bible. Every piece of literature, every piece, has, you, you have to read the beginning to the end and see how the parts fit. Come on. You do that with everything else. Sometimes people go, yeah, but it's the Bible. It's the, I know. It's a book. So read it from beginning to end and see how the parts fit. Now, I'm not going to step into all of those details. I'm wanting to say, we preach this routinely, Old Testament and New Testament, placing both in their context biblically, But I'm just saying, Paul doesn't chuck the Old Testament. He thinks God's people should know what it says and know how to make sense of it. I think you should too. Okay? So there you have it. I think that's a a significant issue. Now, in its context now, Paul is referring to, it's like a courtroom scene being played out here. Paul says, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And it seems to me, that he is referring to his three visits as three witnesses. I, I think the three and the three repeated kind of mean something here. Paul says, I came once, y'all came to Christ, had some stuff to straighten around. I came again, that did not go well. So witness one, witness two, I'll see you soon. I think there are things we should talk about. And I'm afraid of how it's going to go. So it seems to me that he quotes Old Testament law to to remind everybody who knows the Old Testament, which is a bunch of them, that that there's a a part of this Old Testament law that reminds them that that you should pay attention. There's a courtroom setting. There are charges to be addressed. And that's verse 2 and into verse 3. You you look at this. These are sobering statements. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. That's the issue at stake. We've been preaching about this. It's in 2 Corinthians a lot. There were those, Paul calls them in chapter 2, verse 11, the super apostles, and I think he means that kind of, uh, we could say tongue-in-cheek, sarcastically, but the readers would know what he's talking about. But it's people who are challenging the apostle Paul and saying, well, he says he's an apostle. Well, so am I. He says he speaks for God. Well, I'm saying I speak for God. And Paul is saying, time out. 
No, and you've heard us in the last few weeks here in particular talk about this. I've defined Paul as what I call a capital A apostle, a limited group that were established in the New Testament for the giving of scripture, speaking New Testament time. I think that's a limited group. There were requirements for the, to be called an apostle, needed to have seen the resurrected Christ, uh, not the least of the qualifications. That would kind of limit it in terms of time, wouldn't it? Uh, so Paul had seen the resurrected Christ. He's entered into that group that are identified as New Testament apostles. In chapter 2, verse 12, a couple weeks ago or last week, we talked about this. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you. So Paul has, Paul has been dis, uh, underscoring his authority as an apostle, one who speaks for God. Uh, so his, his work coming up is going to involve confronting sin. And it, you know what's interesting here, I referenced this under my section called today's text. This is that sobering part where Paul says, we began this conversation already. Some of you are doubting whether I really speak for God, but let me say, when I come, some of you, you know what? If you want to roll up your sleeves and don't take this in too bad of a way, if you want to go, you know how that goes? Then to use the, you know, the junior high language, you want to throw down? Hockey, right? We're going to throw down the gloves. That means we're going to have a little ruckus in hockey. You're going to throw down? Okay, well, then let's go. And cleaning up Paul, I don't mean to use him like a hockey example because I don't think he played. But I'm simply saying, Paul is saying to those people who are, who are messing around with things theologically, when I come, I'm not just going to give you all a little hug and say it's okay. No, if there are things to talk about, about truth and right and wrong, we're going to have that conversation. And if you want to step up nose to nose, I am not going to be stepping back. I will meet you nose to nose. There's a, there is a, a confrontive element here. And I'm saying this, for some of you who are lovers, not fighters, there is a time for nose to nose. Even those of you who are lovers, not fighters, know this because you did it with two-year-olds. Huh? You know what I'm talking about. There's little moments when a child looks at you and says, no, I will not, stamps his or her little foot, and you as the adult hopefully say, oh, really? And then you have a little conversation about this in whatever form fits your family. But some way that I hope you win decisively because God has put you in that role. Stomp your little foot and say no. Oh, oh no. We don't do that to daddy. That isn't how we talk to daddy. That's a conversation that, okay, some of us have had down through the years without embarrassing our children. Um, that's not how we talk to our daddies. That's not how we talk. Don't. <clears throat> Paul is in that role here saying, okay, if you want to have a nose to nose, then we'll, we'll do that. And I'm not taking a step back. Now, obviously, it's about truth. It's not like they're going to have a fight in the church at Corinth, but it's, it's, it's that direct. And I'm putting it under this heading. Gospel work is both glorious and serious business. Look at my third bullet point here. Please see this. Gospel work is not a hobby. It's not like the game Trivial Pursuit, where at the end of the day, nothing matters. Really. It's trivia. No, Paul knows that gospel work is not trivial pursuit. It's not a matter in which God invites all of us to make up our own rules. Well, I'll just do this, and I'll just do that, and I'll just say the apostle this, and hey, I'm an apostle too, just like Paul. And Paul's calling a time out to this. And you remember, as we have read, 
Galatians 1, 6 through 10, this is a text, we've read it a couple of times in recent weeks, and I urge you to read it again. Paul is saying to the folks in Galatia, a little different setting, but similar conversation, where he's saying, um, I, I can't believe that so quickly you've turned aside from this place of truth, and you're heading a different place. And let me tell you, if anybody, including us, if we, if we teach you anything other than the gospel we already gave you, let that person be, you remember, anathema. That's where the anathemas come in. Verse 9 and verse 10 of Galatians 1. Let that person be cursed. It's the word damned that we would say, ooh, that's bad language. Well, out of context, it's terrible language. In its context, it's terrifying language. See, damned means sent to hell in its proper context. And that's the concept Paul is saying. We're dealing with your eternal soul here when it's coming to gospel truth. So when somebody comes along and says, well, you know what, not so much on the Jesus part, and he was just an ordinary man, and, you know, you kind of have to work a little bit of yourself, and whoa, time out. Wrong. No. You'll see, coming up, 10 weeks of we believe, we believe. All of those cardinal issues, or else we wouldn't talk about them. No, truth matters, dear people. Truth matters. Gospel work is not a hobby. Today, it's kind of like a free-for-all, like shopping. You know, you go through the, 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 the grocery store of religion, and everybody has their little cart saying, well, to me, it's this way. To me, it's that way. Well, I like this part about, about the love of Jesus, but this part about the judgment of God at the great way. You know what? I just really can't have that. And so it's like a shopping cart. You get to the checkout and say, I have my own little religion here. And people, people do this, and I hope you don't. Be careful what you shop for in the realm of religion. And may I offer this suggestion? Stick to the authority of the word of God. If you don't, suddenly guess what? You've made yourself the authority. That's what you've done. What seems right to me. And what does the scripture say about that? There is a a way that seems right to a man, to a person. But the end of this is the way of death. No, you stick with the scripture. Where the scripture speaks, God speaks. Let's not forget it. As you turn to, the, uh, to that fourth bullet point, of course, the truth of the gospel worth defending when necessary, absolutely. Christian charity does not mean accepting error. Both grace and truth, essential in gospel work. I want to move to that next part, okay? That's verses one through three. There's a confrontiveness here. Now, you really, you come to the, it's, the last line in verse three could be included in verse four. But, but Paul is going to talk about this issue of weakness and strength. I put it under the heading, gospel work is dependent on God's strength, God's timing, God's results. So if you look at the second half of verse 3 and into 4, you see this um, where Paul says, He is not weak in dealing with you, is powerful among you, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. So there's a a contrasting of weakness and strength, weakness and strength. So Paul says correctly, of course, at the beginning of verse four, do you see this in the gospel? The first coming of Jesus as the suffering servant, servant, um, his, his death on the cross. Can you, can you think of a weaker moment than that? where Christ, the creator of all, is stripped and beaten, nailed to a cross by the creatures that he has made, left to die the death of a common criminal. Yes, my sin upon his shoulders. Can you have, can you have a 
a, a greater picture of weakness than this. And of course, others were crucified. Common criminals were crucified many times by the Roman government. But this was the creator of all. Philippians 2, humble himself, took on the form of a man, humbled himself even further by going to, to death on a cross. So what could, be a, what could be a more striking symbol of weakness than this? The son of God on a cross. My sin upon his shoulders, yours. What could be a greater symbol of weakness? Jesus as he walked the, the dusty roads of this planet, lived in a human body, as we'll see, one of the we believes, Jesus, God in the flesh, God in human form, a body, fully human body. It got tired. It could die. It needed sleep. He needed sleep. Got thirsty, got hungry. Wow. Got blisters on his feet, I would imagine. Jesus took on our humanity, dies a wicked and cruel death. Now, risen from the dead, raised from the dead, lives, of course, as Paul says, lives by the power of God. If you look with me at my sermon notes, I want to press on this just a bit. This, this living of the gospel, both the weakness of the suffering servant and the strength of the resurrection Christ, risen Christ are part of the gospel message. And I'm wanting to go a step further I want you to see those same, those same elements of weakness and strength in the first coming and second coming of Jesus. As you read the Bible, oh, please, people, get this. In his first coming, the suffering servant. A lot of people love, as do I, the stories of Jesus and the Gospels. That we're preaching the Gospel of Mark this fall. I love it. Even as we preach the gospel of Mark and talk about Christ in his first coming, we must not forget Christ in his second coming. I don't mean the rapture of the church. Sometimes people, as they think about future events, talk about that as the second coming. In theological language, that isn't the second coming. It's the rapture of the church. Okay? Just to clarify a little bit. Otherwise, people say, you got three comings. No, no. Two. Return of Christ in the air. Rapture of the church. For those of us who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, that's the moment, but it's not Christ returning to earth. So the Bible talks about a second coming to earth, Zechariah 14, uh, for example, but there's a moment when you look at Jesus, and here's my point here, you look at Jesus in the book of Revelation, what do you see? Okay, you see, yes, Christ, the resurrected Savior, chapter 1, one who comes in chapter 19 of Revelation as a judge. The one who comes on a white horse with a sword in his hand. Uh, and at that moment, those who've rejected Jesus, please hear this. People say, well, you know what? It's just kind of up to me to you know, figure. Of course, of course, there are elements of faith. Yes. But listen, but listen. Christ in his gentleness coming number one working out salvation so you could be forgiven by a holy God. But if you refuse, if you refuse, the scripture says there's gonna, you're going to stand before him one day as a judge. He will be your judge. And there will be that moment when you say, why didn't I believe that? For goodness sakes, how thick could I have been? This could be you today. Christ coming in judgment 
fact, you, again, read the book of Revelation. See the God that you meet there. Pussycat? Oh, no. One who provides a way for you to come to him. But there's that moment, even as the door of the ark was shut, Old Testament, Noah, even so, there's another day. Book of Revelation chapter 20, there's this moment called the great white throne judgment. And those who attend are not those who know Christ as their savior. Those who are standing before that great white throne are those who said not a chance. Those who've declined, refused the author, offer of salvation in Jesus. What does the scripture say? John says, Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne from which earth and heaven fled away and there was no place to hide. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before the throne. The dead were judged. Anyone's name not found written in the book of life. What is it? Cast into the lake of fire. And again, shopping cart Christianity says, well, I really don't like that part. I I hate to break it to you. No, I'm glad to. The fact that you don't like something doesn't make it not true. Did you know that? You say, well, I don't like that part. Well, that's fine. And I fear for your soul because there will be another day if you reject Christ when you will stand before that great white throne that you don't believe in today. And you'll believe it that day. And you'll tremble before the one who will be your judge. No, this, this is the gospel. Salvation from Salvation from eternity apart from God. Wow. So I'm saying, (laughs) glory, serious business. Yes, God's work, weakness, Christ, weakness in his crucifixion, lives by the power of God. And so Paul says, the second half of verse 4, even so, we also are weak in him. We too are humans. We too have feet of clay, as I've said on your notes there. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. There there is going to be a moment, he says, if you are defying God's authority in Scripture, God's authority of the Apostle Paul. Paul says, no, I will deal with you by the power of God, and it will be sobering indeed. So, yeah, I might give you a hug, but hey there, friend, we're going to call out sin for what sin is. Now, I've given you several things here on your sermon notes that I I, I really think it's important that you see. Um, I mentioned the part about the Apostle Paul, signs of a true apostle. I want to go to that third bullet point under that heading. I'm pressing on this because it's such a big deal in the Bible that you understand both the, the grace and the truth elements as they come together in the, in the person of Christ. Uh, grace, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Absolutely, yes, that's true. It's grace and truth together, and so is the day of judgment. So I'm saying here, there are times when even Christ, who is called in the Bible the Lion of the tribe of Judah, must bear his claws. And I'm remembering with you, okay, I mentioned National Treasure earlier. How about C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia? Can I mention just a couple moments with the great lion? You understand C.S. Lewis uses the great lion Aslan as a type, a picture of Jesus And you will find in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, just to to go there for a moment, the great lion, and indeed he's a great lion, uh, is, is gentle enough for the children to come close. Is he safe? You remember the discussion with the, 
the beavers. Uh, I'm sorry, if you're not into this, you go beavers, seriously, talking animals. Just, just get into it, okay? Yes, they're talking animals in the land of Narnia. So they're in a conversation with the beavers, I promise. And it's okay. But, but is, he, is he safe? No, he's a lion. But he's safe for the children as they draw near. But there's a moment when the lion roars. Oh, there's a moment when the lion roars and death breaks. You remember. There's a moment when the lion roars. There's also a moment. I've switched now books to the voyage of the Don Treader. Do you remember Useless? Uh, Eustace? You remember the, the play on his name? It only works if you've read the book. He really was. Eustace in the book, The Voyage of the Don Treader, is this young man who, well, he pretty well is useless. And, um, but somewhere along the way, he is captured by riches. He's in a place of a lion's lair, and he sees gold, and he starts taking all this stuff. And in fulfilling his lust for stuff and for money, he becomes a dragon. And there's no way out. It's quite a story. He doesn't realize it's changing him, that his desires are changing him, but they are. He goes in to think, I'm just going to take stuff. Oh, no. Oh, no. It changed him. Dora, he became the dragon. What was the way out? Do you remember the treatment of the lion? He needed the lion. And it's a glorious and awful moment, you remember, where the lion puts his claws out to scrape back that skin. It is a painful act of mercy because the only way to free Eustace from the covering of the lion, sorry, the covering of the dragon was the lion, the great lion who would put his claws out in a moment of cleansing and judgment, claw back that dragon skin and free him. It's a powerful moment if you figure out the analogy at all. No, the great lion has his claws out. And it's an act of mercy and judgment wrapped into one. Interesting. No, the great lion, sometimes we can turn Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, into a pussycat and mess with gospel truth. And treat the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to, to, to provide for us. We can treat it like a grocery store. I like that. And too quickly say, well, I don't think I like that. As if you are the one who judges. Really? What do you, you made it up? Boy, that's pretty heady stuff. No, submit yourself to what the scripture says. Believe it. Live by it. Love the Jesus here presented. All of this, I note here, all of this is aimed at building up the Corinthian believers, not tearing them down. That's not his goal. He's not here to ruin them. He's there for, he's there for their good. He mentions that in verse 10 of chapter 13, a part that Pastor Ben will mention next week in his preaching, the last part of this book. The authority, Paul says, that the Lord has given me for building up, not for tearing down. Paul is not saying all this to hurt them. He's saying all this to save them. Now, I want to go to that final section called Responding to God's Word. I just want to talk about a couple of things here. Uh, certainly, a lot of ways you can take these two elements, the glory of the gospel work, the serious nature of the gospel work, 
God's strength, timing, and so on. A lot of different ways you can apply all this. I want to just go to Father's Day for a moment. All these things we're speaking of today have profound application to our task of being a dad. Uh, Some of you here are dads. You have little ones running around your ankles. Wonderful. Um, I love that. Uh, Great memories of those years as well. Um, Now, in a whole different place of life, of course, with other little ones running around my ankles. And that's glorious too. Being a dad, I'm saying here, is often great fun, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's more than great fun. It is, but it's more. To be a great dad is also serious business. We are, and I've given you a list here, shaping young lives, forming character, nurturing spiritual passion, and, of course, curbing youthful foolishness. Isn't that good? You like the wording of that? This is what I'm doing. I'm curbing youthful foolishness. Well, you are, I hope. That involves that powerful word, no. Really an important part of being a dad. It's not just for the moms to say, can I get an amen? Anyway, don't say it, don't say it, don't do it, don't do it. I'm saying this is active work, and it demands your attentiveness and eager and active participation. I want want to just give you a little snapshot here. of glory and serious. So the other day, I'll skip a lot of the details. The other day I was doing grandpa work with two little boys um, who shall remain on, well, no, they won't. I had Crosby and Bo. Uh, Friday afternoon, grandpa time. And something I routinely do with grandkids, I love taking kids for walks. We go for walks. Sometimes it's strollers. Sometimes it's me carrying, depending on the age. Uh, The other day it was a red wagon. So uh, we took three walks because it was a while and you break up, you know how it is? You break up life with, okay, we're going on a walk again. We're going to walk. It's the same thing. We're going on a walk. So I got a wagon and first walk was a three-year-old and a two-year-old in the wagon. And and we're doing what I do when you walk is I'm pointing out God's work. Okay. And you know, other things like this is a fire hydrant. Here's what fire hydrants do. There's a point to this. Firefighters come, and if there's a hook up a hose, right, you know, that's pretty cool. And look over here, look at these flowers. Stop the wagon. Look at how purple they are. Oh, and there are bees buzzing, and we talk about the work of God. And I show them a dogwood tree. This is a dogwood, it's a flowering dogwood tree. Woof, woof. I'm teaching them. See, as we walk and talk, and over here, the neighbor has wonderful roses. Do you see? Look at the colors that God has created. Okay, step ahead with me. Next, uh, this is two walks later. Okay, at this point, the boys want to pull the wagon. No problem. I'm not in it. That's not, that's, so I've got, at one point, I've got a, a three-year-old in the wagon and a two-year-old pulling it. But when the, that did, when the three-year-old is pulling it, the two-year-old's, I'm, I'm watching Crosby pulling the wagon, and he gets to the fire hydrant. And he stops. And he starts telling the story of the fire hydrant. You know, as a three-year-old would, I, I didn't understand most of it, but I got, you know, fire and fire pe- hose, psh, you know, wow. And then we go a little further, and he pulls over by the purple flowers. He's going, and I thought, yes, they're listening. See, they don't understand it. I get it, but they're listening to the work of God. And in a walk, it's not a big deal. We're just walking and talking. And I think that's in Deuteronomy, something about as you walk by the way and you lie down when you rise up. And I'm reminded, being a dad or grandpa is often great fun, but it's serious and it's terrifying because it means they were listening the whole time to what I said. They're paying attention to how I walked. They're paying attention. And you see the terrifying part of that. 
in, in, your, in your intentional look at the work of God, and maybe in the other moments where you're not really saying look at the work of God, they're still paying attention. Dads, they are. Oh my, sobering. God help us. Pray for us as we shape young lives. If you're a dad, you have little, little ones running around, God bless you in your work. Really, give you wisdom to shape young lives, to love, to teach, to walk with, to speak of eternal things in the doing of life. God give you wisdom. Grandpas, same thing. Let's be good at it. Let's be good at it as God allows. Let's be good at it. Now, we could say all the same thing to moms. Mother's Day, we were gone. Other people uh, were here on Mother's Day. All the same things. Today, we're speaking of dads. That's why I push on it that way. The work of being a dad, same gospel work. It's gospel work, it is. And it's glorious and fun and it's serious business and we need to take it as such. I mentioned here as well, a second little bullet point. Let's make sure in our working with the gospel and living that we advance no other name than the name of Jesus. Local churches can rise and fall, can't they? They do. Local churches rise and fall, come and go. But the work of the gospel through the, through the church, capital C Church, is, is, is going to outlast them all. Every organization doesn't have to live forever. Not even every church has to live forever. Some organizations should shut. Sometimes it's time for a church to shut. I see these pictures of forlorn churches on the prairie sometime, and I, on the one hand, you go, that's awful. On the other hand, you know, no, that's glorious because they were there for a time, kind of like you, here for a time, and the time changed. Well, the work of the gospel goes on forever. God's strength, God's timing, God's results. I'd like to pray for us. Would you stand with me, please, as we do that? Our Father, I thank you for this text where the Apostle Paul gets kind of serious about really serious matters. I thank you for everyone in this room, those who were here earlier, those who will yet come, those who are hearing Pastor Stephen at Central, those who are hearing Pastor Matt at Grace, that, that all those who are listening, those online, listening later, that we will be serious about things you call serious, most importantly, the work of Jesus on the cross. I pray that no one in the sound of my voice or our voices today would, would hear of these things and turn away. Maybe even today saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Our Father, you do that work. It is yours to do. We ask it of you. And maybe even today there'd be some who'd say, yes, Jesus, I know I've done wrong. I'm trusting Christ as my savior from sin today. Christ in him alone. All my hope is in him. Oh, Father, do this, do this, I pray. Thank you for the week ahead. Thank you for Father's Day, the chance to think about these things today, tomorrow, whatever the family plans are. Thank you for fathers who've gone on before us, no longer with us. Heal the memories that are painful. All these things we ask of you with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.